Blog Talk Radio. God. 
Thank you, Jesus. It sounded like we had some strange interference coming in there with that song this this evening or morning, wherever you are in the world. Praise Jesus. Oh, aren't we in just the most wonderful times? Had a conversation. Uh, I'm, I, I have a hobby, and a lot of people know about it. It's ham radio, amateur radio, and... Um, after the lightning strike, it took out my, my ham radio. That was one of the things that was a large dollar loss item. <clears throat> and I got a really good deal on a replacement one. But Hurricane Irma had, you know, in accordance with my testimony, where the Lord had saved my life from the 50-foot palm tree that was crashing down through the – it literally cr- it smashed against my uh, the roof of my house right above where I was sitting – um, and uh, but the my uh, my old amateur radio antenna blocked it by a miracle. It was amazing. But in doing so, it also crushed it all four hundred and some odd dollars worth it. But anyway, long story short, um, I was talking. I was having a conversation. Praise Jesus! With um, I needed to find out. You know, I got to replace the antenna, and I wanted to do it real cost-effectively, and I I wanted to do it like with no trouble because there's some some antennas that do amazing things, and but they're really really hard to deal with. Um, they just got all kinds of rules and things and wires and cables and schmables and ground radials and all kinds of things you got to do. Well, anyway, the only reason I brought that up, praise Jesus, because it, it I was speaking to an engineer. It, it, that was uh, working for one of the companies that specializes in antennas. And it turns out this guy was ex-military. I mean, just my goodness. Uh, he worked at the White House, uh, the Pentagon. Uh, now now he's basically retired. He's you know semi-retired. But I had this long conversation with him today about which would be the right antenna for me to buy in my situation, you know, because I don't want to dork around with all the things that a lot of times you got to dork with. And they have, you know, new tech. Well, anyway, the, the net result was that there for a short period of time, this guy was very talkative, by the way, there for a short period of time, I forgot about all the things that are going on in the world. Now, he gave, it turns out he's a workout freak and has this, I don't know, something that his and his, him and his wife do for health and working out and teaching people. And he was talking to me about, you know, we were sharing notes about me working out again, you know, and, and what my options were with my job because he used to have a job that was just as demanding as mine is, you know, on call 24 by 7. Now, I'm not 24 by 7, uh, but uh, my goodness, in, in that 10 hours that I'm supposed to be in front of that computer, I mean, it's it's high stress. You know, you even get up and go make yourself a sandwich at lunchtime, you know, depending on what's going on, you could miss an email and have come back and deal with a fire, a really big problem. Anyway, long story short, I had respite. I had total peace. It was the weirdest. I just realized it was like when I was having this conversation with this guy, and it it turns out he was really highly motivational, so he's got me pumped up about getting back into working out again in the morning early, which I think a lot of us could use right now. I mean, I realize that we are on the very edge, but we still don't know how long this could drag out for. But boy, are we on the edge. I mean, we are on the edge. It is so obvious right now that words really, you can't describe it. Now, granted, you use, you know, ambiguous words like soon and, you know, really close. (laughs) What does that mean, right? But I've never, 
I, I, could, I cannot express and I, how the indicators and the pointers and the obviousness, uh, the in-your-facedness, how about that term, uh, of where we are in the end times. It's so, I guess, our Heavenly Father is, I mean, really the intent, I believe, of the throne room would be to wake up as many people as soon as possible. Um you know, for good reason, because God would want now granted, you know, there's there's a lot of catches to that and there's a whole lot of different types of Christians at different levels of under understanding and you know, worldwide. So uh but if the net result is that God can uh, you know, allows the devil to do things across the world and in front of people that are paying attention, watching and praying, watching and praying, repenting and confessing, repenting and confessing. Um you know, more and more people are going to wake up. And I can tell you that uh, I, I know that this is exactly what is happening um, because I don't know if it's a gift from the Lord or maybe a deeply rooted, hidden desire that people have who know uh, even a portion of what's going on. Maybe not as much as we do, but hey, what about 25%? What about 30% of what we know? That could easily be enough to make that person feel like they're on an island and they don't have anybody to talk to because they're just going to be deemed a conspiracy theorist, that kind of thing, you know. So that makes them feel very lonely. They have no one to fellowship with, share notes with, get excited with, be biblically accurate with, you know, for, and I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, forsake not the, fe- the fellowship of the brethren, especially when you see the, the end coming near, you know. But that's almost impossible for those of us who know a whole lot about the depth the depth of the evil that is occurring across the world right now because the more you know the more advanced stuff that you understand will be very difficult for even an awakened person to accept so uh, you know it you can still be on an island even amidst people that are partially awakened um, and, and we all know that we, we've all I think we've all experienced it to some degree by now. But what I have noted was that I, I, I'm astonished. I mean, I'm blown away by how many people in my workplace, uh, different customers that I speak to, you know, remotely and stuff on various meetings. Um, and they know. They know. Uh, One of my clients I had a conversation with and, um, you know, one thing led to another. What, you know, boy, did you see that, 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 you know, you you might start out by saying, my goodness, did you see that uh, Joe Biden speech yesterday from Philadelphia kind of thing, you know, and then you just kind of watch how they respond. And a lot of times it will kind of like pull their string and they'll realize that you know just by the way you ask the question that you know a lot more than you're letting on, right? And then that makes them feel comfortable. And then, you know, one thing leads to another. Next thing you know, you're sharing notes. And I have, like, I just recently met a, was working with a client with a, you know, absolutely global billion-dollar company. And he, he is, like, very advanced, Okay, now he didn't understand, he didn't know about uh, pre-existence, but when I explained it to him and I told him about how, how Oregon, one of the founding, uh, you know, argue, you know, sadly, Roman Catholic church fathers, but nevertheless was an, 
uh, ostracized, uh, excommunicated from the Roman Catholic Church uh, because he went to them and said, hey, um, I've got gobs of biblical evidence to prove that we pre-existed. We weren't just like little spirit babies floating around in heaven like a lot of people think. You know, just wacky notions that we make up in our human minds because we don't have the intellectual capacity to be able to imagine what is the most likely Occam's razor answer for all that stuff. But anyway, cycling back over to that moment with the engineer and the, the workout guy and the engineer it was helping me with the antenna, I it was the weirdest thing. When we finally hung up the phone, this guy was very talkative, by the way, so I don't know if he was, like, you know, drinking, like, pots of coffee or what, but he was, like, just going down. And I was listening to all the stuff that he was saying real closely, taking notes and stuff. When he finally hung up the phone, it took me a while. I think it was about two minutes. And little by little, it was almost like, you know, watching a movie and and where they would fade away from one scene and then fade into another scene, right? Like a transition. And that's what happened to my psyche, my, my you could call it body, soul, mind, spirit, life, whatever you want to call it, but the whole package, you know, it's like my whole intellectual and spiritual energy went through this like weird kind of like transition where I was in this place where everything was normal. I was playing with my hobby. I was getting, you know, uh, the cheapest antenna that would suit my purposes, talking to a really super smart guy. And I was so into it that I was totally distracted from all the end time stuff, you know, maybe for about an hour and a half because this guy was, like I said, he was very talkative. And then when we hung up the phone, that strange transition, that spiritual transition came upon me. And all I, I started to recollect, I, it was weird. It was like it was like somebody turning up the volume on your stereo real slow. And it was like my, and I started to transition and, I, and then I remembered. Because there for a time, it took me away. It was a Calgon moment. It took me away from all, maybe similar to watching a you know a pretty good clean movie or whatever, and you get really into the characters, you get really into the plot, and it kind of unplugs you from all that evil end times LGBT mutilating children, horrible things that are happening around the world that we're aware of, and I could literally feel the. I can't I don't know what the emotion was. It was like a blend of emotions that were not pleasant as I be, started to become pulled back into the reality that we are all in that is not the reality of 98%, if not 99% of our fellow brothers and sisters as a general rule, particularly the evangelical Christian uh, churchianity folks in the United States of Babylon the Great, because they have been programmed by prior teachings uh, over, wow, um, over 100 years, uh, 150 probably, maybe even longer, the, the, the roots of which probably came from the Protestant Reformation and even before that. But the point is, when generations of Christians are taught something 
generation after generation or after generation, and it, it becomes doctrine, even though the doctrine's not correct. And it gets more and more corrupt over time because what happens is pastors and teachers will be asked a question when they don't know a question. They'll, they'll hypothesize about it. And the other thing is they don't want to scare people away from their church because they need the money in the collection plate to fix the roof and the, the building. You know, So there's this conflict of interest that's there. Um, but anyway, the the I didn't realize the – I mean, I knew that we were all under enormous oppression. Now, there's demonic oppression. Uh, I, I don't know. There's definitely demonic oppression, but this notion that it only happens outside of that – of the victim, you know, the Christian victim that – you know, Christian evangelical Christians like to say demonic oppression. You can't be possessed, they say, as a Christian. In other words, what they're trying to say is that the demon cannot be inside of your spirit and soul alongside of the Holy Spirit. But that's baloney. That's absolute baloney. Because that, because when you look at the, just the wide, the vast numbers, it's amazing. There, you know, and we've had many people on the show that have, you know, that were uh, specialists in spiritual warfare and would would testify uh, that that's absolutely a fact, and it's it's just it is. But anyway, the but but there is also emotional oppression that is not of demonic origin. Now, there's people out there that are kind of you know young in their beliefs, and maybe not very good at thinking things through very well or whatever. And they would say, oh, no, 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 that's not true. You know, uh, everything is of the devil kind of thing. You know, a lot of people get, go through a phase where if it's negativity at all, if there's any kind of a negativity at all, it's of the devil. It's a demon. So it's, you know, that's the, there's a demon on every doorknob kind of thing. That's an immature level of understanding of things. It's, and then it's very common for humans because we generalize to try to explain things we don't understand. But all that being said, there is a, there is a emotional oppression that occurs that has nothing to do with the demonic, has nothing to do with any kind of curses or backdoors or any of that kind of nonsense. You could be absolutely on your A game. In other words, you don't have any issues that you're aware of. You know that you're walking in a state of sin because the Bible's very clear about that. Um, there's a high level of likelihood that we're always in some type of sin at all times or have committed sins uh, on any given day or hour, for that matter, that we were unaware of. You know, And um, uh, so that's always going to be the case. But this concept, I just experienced today, this concept whereby emotional oppression, non-demonic, nothing to do with the darkness, well, everything to do with the darkness, but not the origin was not from demons. The origin of it was from understanding. Okay, and and it falls back to the you know that verse that I bring up all the time. Um, uh, let's see, first I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes one eighteen, I believe. Um, let me see if I got that right. Hold on a second. Yeah, there it is. Um, one one uh, eighteen. Let me just double check and make sure that's right. Yeah. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Well, here you have proof positive of what I, what I'm saying is is accurate, and that is because uh, it says 
in much wisdom is much grief. It doesn't say you have grief because the demons are oppressing you. You know what I mean? It's it's very clear that it's a if you are blessed with a an, a highly advanced understanding of the things that are happening around you, that would be much wisdom. Okay, and then of course he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So, and of course wisdom and knowledge together are both very powerful wisdom. You know, again, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. But wisdom is knowing that you don't put a tomato in your fruit salad. <laughs> okay? So um, you put the two together, and it becomes very powerful. So that amplifies the the impact upon each of us by virtue of this particular passage, for in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So while I was having that conversation with the fellow about my hobby, and I realized we're so far into the end times that there might not, you know, who knows what could happen. I mean, I might not even hardly be able to do my hobby even at all, hardly at all. I'm so busy with, you know, just a crazy life. We all are. Um, You got you know, you have prayer. There's very little downtime for a lot of us. Um, you know, we almost have to schedule it in our calendar if we're real busy serving the Lord, but and with our jobs and that insanity. But the point I'm making is that I, I could tangibly feel. I mean, I could physically, uh, you know, I, so it's physiological. Okay, so it's a combination of mental and, you know, uh, tangible oppression that you can actually feel coming upon you. Almost like somebody taking a log, a really big log or a a 150-pound weight and slowly laying it on your chest when you're laying on your back, you know, like on a bench press or on a bed even, you know, just to make the point. And I could feel the oppression. It was tangible. It was was getting... More and more and more and more. More oppressive, more oppressive. The scale of oppression was increasing the more I made that transition. And I, little by little, I was remembering, oh, my, you know, because I have, you know, a lot of us are in the same situation, but it's just different dynamics. You know, if, you're, if your husbands and wives are breaking up, you're going to go through, you're going to have concerns about how am I going to feed my kids? Where am I going to get a job? Um, are we going to have to sell the property? Where? What about the rental stuff going through the roof and it's up 30% and people are losing their places to live and renting sometimes is like many times a magnitude more expensive than a house. And there's just a, uh, just a whole portfolio, my goodness, probably a, a big old list of things that that individual would be worrying about or have reason to be definitely very concerned about, especially if there are small children involved, just because of the one problem, which would be the naughty husband. Okay. So that similar dynamic exists in my life and especially with my job. Um, Like I said, there was a, a pretty horrible reduction in force. The word on the rumor mill in the back and behind the scenes is that it's going to continue, but it's going to be on the down low. And there's even discussions about, you know, people are saying, well, do you even think they're going to bother to keep our department? You know, because it, it, 
many of us have come from companies that would go through such gigantic changes in how they did business that they just decided that they didn't want the department anymore. Um, they wanted to change how they did stuff. So, which you know, it, it's it's like whatever. Um, it's always harder to go through those types of transitions when you're over sixty because. While you are considered to be a protected class over the age of 50 when you are currently employed in an employer in the United States of Babylon the Great, when you're not employed, you there is massive age discrimination that takes place. So as soon as you – you know, you better get out the uh, – Grecian Formula 44 and take your white goatee and make it, you know, you know not white anymore. Um, because, you know, and the other thing you got to watch out for, too, is sometimes your resume that they're looking at on the table when you're interviewing for another job gives you away. Just by virtue of the years, you know, you have to put the chronology of the jobs, your prior jobs that you had, right? And they can just look at it and they're like, wow, if this person has this many years of experience in the business, he's got to be X, Y, Z years old. And then they then they think to themselves, you know, things like, you know, is the person going to stay here? Are they going to retire on us? You know, is it worth investing the time to train them up? Da, 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 da. And on and on and on it goes. Um, I've even talked to one of my um, colleagues from back in the 90s, and he told me that when uh, he was laid off, uh, let go from this mega company and that he was with for a long time, um, that he knew as a fact that the reason why he wasn't able to get hired like instantly was because of age discrimination. Anyway. So, of course, that rattles around in your head, and, you know, no doubt there's some fiery darts that are heading your way. You know, whenever you get a notion in your head, like especially the notion of I'm not worthy, when you get that notion in your head that you're not worthy, then you're really just not understanding the Holy Bible very well. Because, and boy, did this take me a long time. God had to whack Beat the, or let the devil or whatever. In some cases, our father will chasten you directly, or in other cases, our father will say, you know, kind of do a job deal on you and let the devil beat on you a little bit. But the net result is always that our father is bringing us back on course, which is a blessing, believe me. And, and if you have, like, wacky beliefs in your head, like, you know, you're worthy because of, you know, your effort, the effort that you're putting into walking in holiness and righteousness, that's the mistake of the Pharisee in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. So we always want to know that we'll never be worthy, which works in our favor because the assumption must always be that there are sins that we've committed that we may not even be aware of. Now, it, it, it aggravates the situation when you're dealing with things like like addictions and stuff like that, especially if you're like, for example, an ex-smoker and you are drawn back to occasional smoking or whatever the case is and you got to pray your way through that you know you got to get you got to change is your brain, what's triggering your head what's causing things you know you got it, it's it's all all of the above and it can be um it can also be emotional reactions if you look at galatians 5:19 and you see all that humongous list i mean it's uh, probably like a dozen things and by the way 
Paul even says in that big list of things that he are, he's referring to as sins that can affect our inheritance when we get to heaven. Um, he even says, and other such things. In other words, he kind of leaves it open-ended and says, all these things are examples, you know, contentions, dissensions, you know, this, that, this and that and the other thing. And a lot of these things are things that people, they, I don't know if they don't, if most of them are probably not reading their Bible, and most of, and then the rest of them, if they are reading it, they aren't understanding it, and then they're just going out and doing all these things, and then they're doing it publicly, which is the worst case scenario on a social media site. So, it's, so, so they're basically forfeiting their inheritance, and they're going to get ultimately to heaven before Jesus if they do enough enough of it, uh, and Jesus is going to have a heart to heart with them and say, look. You know, you did all this stuff really, really well, but man, you did some really naughty stuff. I mean, you know, sorry, but this kind of thing. Now, according to Odin Hetrick's 81 Visits to Heaven, and he's arguably the most, I, I would submit he's probably one of the best uh, uh, testimonies of heaven that it, that exists. I'm not going to get into the heaven that is set up by Satan that is a, an outstanding mock-up of the real thing, but unfortunately has woven deceptions involved in it that can gravely mislead those who listen to the testimonies of the people that have been taking to, taken to that place. But the people who have been taken to that place believe from the very bottom of their heart that they were taken to heaven. But then you meet up with somebody else who's been taken to heaven, like I can't name the names of the people, but I can tell you that Angelica Zambrano guarantee you that that is a true blue, 100% accurate. She was definitely taken to hell, and she was definitely taken to heaven. Okay? No doubt about it. No doubt about it. And she saw, for example, Michael Jackson in hell. But there are people out there that are saying that they went to heaven and saw Michael Jackson all hunky-dory. So the message that that sends to the person who listens to the testimony is that, oh, well, if Michael Jackson's in, in, in heaven and he did all his naughty, naughty things when he was on earth, you know, then God isn't as strict, you know, he's, maybe he's not as strict as, uh, you know, I ought to think he is or kind of thing, you know, and, and it makes it, 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 it's just not a positive, it's not a good message. It's um, it's a permissive message that sends the permissive notion to the person to the, to all the followers of that individual that um, they really don't have to put that much effort into getting the sin out of their lives as best as possible. Not not that it can be done in totality, but you know, really working hard at it and making it a constant part of our walk every day, which is vitally important, and never feeling worthy because you're not, and. You know, just living in that state of having a contrite spirit, humility, knowing you're imperfect, knowing you're going to dork up, knowing you're probably dorking up even now when you don't even realize it, that kind of thing. And then constantly examining yourself, like 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 28, 31, and 32, you got to pluck out the, ver the stuff where Paul admonishes them, admonishes the church of Corinth over their drinking of uh, wine prior to taking communion. Because you've got to understand he's, re he's using that as an example of naughty behavior. But he's saying in 1 Corinthians 11, 28, 31, and 32, he's really saying that many of you in the church are sick and weak and dead 
because you haven't been examining yourselves and correcting your behaviors, which follows in perfect alignment with Jesus where he said, now go and sin no more lest the worst thing, worst thing come upon you, right? So it, when, you, when you're getting the scripture, there's a harmony that develops where you are now looking at things spiritually, not contextually, and uh, which, which of course is what churchianity teaches you is vitally important because if if you think you have to look at everything contextually, then you will never grow in your your understanding of the Bible. You will never never grow. You will be stuck. And that's where churchianity pretty much that's the state that they're in, and they are stuck there. And unfortunately, some of their doctrines are tickets to hellfire. It's sad. So anyway, and, and, and much less so in certain countries that are under oppression, the more oppression that they're under by their governments and the more underground they have to be and all that, and the more ugly that they're going through, the more they're on their knees, which is good. That's not the case quite yet with the Christian population in the United States of Babylon the Great. To what degree we will degrade well, to me, it's starting to look like it's going to be a lot worse than I thought. Um, but I first wanted to share how noteworthy and how obvious and how impactful my mental spiritual transition was from talking about my hobby with a really smart guy who had, you know, no clue about anything and, you know, but but was real smart engineering wise. And then transitioning back to reality. Again, very similar feeling that you would get if you're watching a, you know, like a, a really good, uh, you know, maybe you're watching uh, uh, a, a season of um, Virgin River or something like that, and you get really into the characters and the plot, and it, it's kind of a Calgon take-me-away moment. And then it's over, and you slowly start. And, and I actually have another prop, another challenge that I noticed with me emotionally that might help you out. You may have it too, where you don't want to be disconnected from reality too long either. That's the other thing, because if you're disconnected from it too long, it it gives you this really I don't know, well, similar kind of a transitional creepy feeling as you're. You know, the, it, the show's over or whatever, and that season of Virgin River's over, and now you're looking around you going, oh, no. You know, you remember all of the horrible things that are happening to you at work. You remember all of the friends that you lost. You remember the jobs that they gave you that were poorly quoted, absolute disasters, and how, you know, all the – all that, and it just overwhelms you, and that's just the job part of it. Never mind the the, ha the house part of it. You know, when you're on the edge of, as a matter of fact, there was a, a, a uh, psychological study that was done by a major. You know, I, I don't remember the source, but I know know it was very trustworthy. It had a lot of really smart people involved in it, and a large. It was a big study. And they determined, they came to the conclusion that a person who loses their job is under an equal amount of me mental s stress as a person who's going through a divorce. That if they were to measure the brainwave patterns and look at the negative impact on that person's psyche using neurological sensors, 
it was almost like going through the same exact event. That's how impactful it is. And I can understand that, too, because I was even in tears looking at my dog, thinking to myself, I'm not going to be able. It's bad enough that the dog food is so expensive right now. You, you wonder to yourself how you can even afford to buy more. But then you get that, you know, you're looking at your puppy dogs. Can you imagine what it must be like? I mean, to most dog owners, they become, as you get older, you, you know, kind of like your kids. Because they act like kids. They push and shove and get, you know, jealous and they tug of war over toys and all that kind of stuff, just like little three-year-olds and four-year-old kids and stuff. But it's different, of course, when you're a parent and, you know, you're looking at your kids. What are you going to do to feed your kids? How are you going to find a job in this economy? Well, the Lord bless me. It's not the answer to everything, and it doesn't guarantee diddly, but especially with the age discrimination stuff going on with, you know, and and all that. But I did find out. So what I'm doing is, you know, I'm just going ahead and and trying to prepare uh, for what could happen because it does rain on the just and the unjust, right? And I, as a worker in a large corporation, I, I am subject to that impact as many others are. In fact, one of the places that I thought I wanted to work, that I thought was kind of like a gift from God, because of the coincidence, you really got to watch out. When you're a target of the devil, he will slip you on Mickey, but man, you'll be like, how is this, you know, you'll think it's the Lord. You'll you'll be like, wow, there's no such thing as a coincidence, and this has to be from God. I did. I really did with this particular organization, and I went ahead and did what I never do, which was, you know, submit my paperwork and stuff, only to find out later that while they were hiring for that one position, they had just got done laying off over 3,000 of their employees and uh, also had gotten rid of the vast majority of what's called the C-suite. Those are the executive leadership team people. That is basically the equivalent of gutting a corporation and rebuilding it. That is hugely impactful. And I thought to myself, obviously, that wasn't God because it would have been, you know, God's not going to lead his people into a trap. He would never do that to you. The problem is discerning and being careful enough and have, and, and ha- see, without Without me having gone through the beatings, I'm just going to call them beatings. I'm not going to analyze the sources of them. I'm not going to get into the details. But the beatings that I have gone through since the uh, end of 2017 until now have been very uh, – from a, from a you know spiritual godly walk standpoint in my life they've been very incredibly beneficial and i've learned enormous things that i can impart through my beatings and experience and things that i've learned scripturally since then because when you're going through that ugly stuff whatever it is and for whatever reason you will if you are close to the lord in your heart and you know you're going to like try to figure out using the Bible, hopefully, what did you either A, do wrong, and if, you know, and how did that happen? You know, 
Because if you can understand the, what, the how and the why, then you can make an adjustment to your behavior so that the likelihood of that happening to you again is greatly diminished. You don't want to repeat the same mistakes, right? And you certainly don't want to go through the same beatings. So, and some people just do. They do. They keep on doing the same thing over and over again and keep on going through the same beatings over and over again. But anyway, so hopefully, you know, I'm never going to say that I'm not going to. I'm always looking over my shoulders. And one of the things that I am admittedly am surprised about in my walk is realizing that the devil can flip you a Mickey. So even if you're really good at spiritual warfare, and not, and, and, and people are it's the walk, the the walk of sanctification in Christ throughout your life is it creates diversities of the body of Christ. And and there's different skill levels, skill sets, you know, the more you practice a particular thing, if you're if you Put a lot of effort into spiritual warfare, especially if you're the target of the attack. You will do some pretty deep dive digging. Now, you can get stuck in a rut. Um, you can make some logical choices in the way that you're studying the information that will pigeonhole you into a belief system that is inaccurate. And... It happens all the time. I mean, we bring guests on the radio show that, you know, share their experiences in spiritual warfare, and they're at a whole different, you know, they're like, you know, for example, uh, I'm, you know, without, I wouldn't mention anybody, but um, I did have somebody on a show at one point that was talking about spiritual warfare and, uh, you know, the stuff that they went through and how, you know, how they prayed and all that. And invariably, you always get, you know, communicate emails from people that say, oh, that was such a blessing because, you know, sometimes a person has to hear something 30 times. And sometimes if they hear it from person A, it doesn't register. But they hear it from person D, and just the way that person said it, it clicked with them, which is why I like to have guests on. But I had another person from another, you know, over in Europe email me and say, Wow, that person sure went through a lot of stuff. All I had to do was do what you said and anoint my, uh, you know, the uh, windows and doors and, um, you know, essentially build a spiritual force field around my bedroom and all those problems just went away instantly, which is exactly right if you do it right. I'm not saying that there's some secret sauce there. I mean, it's basically just using anointing oil, which I have published on tribulation-now.org under the Spiritual Warfare Prayers uh, link. There's a lot of it in there, tons of it in there. And I need to update that, by the way, because I don't have I, – I really need to update that. Because I want to bring everybody up to speed with the power that we have, because it's, because it's totally in the book of Revelation. The, it, well, it's amazing. I ha, the Lord confirms things from for me, and then I know for sure it's a – I mean, beyond any shadow of a doubt, I know. For example, it never occurred to me that the fire that's shot out of the mouth of the two witnesses for three and a half years, which I knew, I knew it was a metaphor for something, but I didn't connect it to the holy fire of God in Zechariah 2.5. And I was already, already praying using the holy fire of God as a, as a spiritual warfare defense, defensive, mechanism, defensive mechanism as well as an offensive mechanism 
mechanism or, or tactic, if you will, to proactively fight and punish the demons that would even you know, consider coming after me. I want them to be punished. I want them to be in such horrific agony that Colossians 2.15 becomes their life. Colossians 2.15, paraphrased, not accurate, you know, I'm not going to quote it exactly, um, but I'm going to explain it in a paraphrased manner. It basically says that when Jesus died on the cross, the ultimate impact was he disarmed principalities and powers, and he made a public spectacle of them. Now, where are these principalities and powers? They're in high places. So I'm, I'm very much against – I know it's a popular way to say things. I know there's a lot of translations that call it heavenly places. That is not the proper – I promise you it's not the proper uh, um, translation of that word. It's just not. The term is more appropriately high places. By the way, that aligns with all the Old Testament scripture that talks about like Jeroboam and the different kings of Israel, especially in the northern sides in the tribe of Dan and whatever, where they would go up and do, uh, you know, drink offerings and, uh, uh, you know, d things like that, burnt offerings uh, to the host of heaven. They would even mention in there the term high places, etc. And you know, we know that a host is a host body. It's not that incorrect notion that some theologians and teachers get into their head where, oh, they must be talking about the planets, the host of heaven, you know. No, we're talking about beings. In that case, it was fallen angelic beings, which is the same exact thing that the Global Satanic Crime Syndicate is waiting. They, can't, they are already dealing with fallen angelic beings now. We're dealing with fallen angelic beings. Biden is a fallen angelic being. I, the things that are happening, and, but we're aware of all these things, and of course that increases our oppression and makes us want to get out of here all the more sooner. Who wants to spend years of time, even knowing that Jesus is going to, is really close to reaching his hand down into that cesspool and pulling you out and hosing you off with the Crystal River and making you purer. Um, but who wants to be in that cesspool? Especially when you're in our most unfortunate situation in our walk, whereby we are blessed by that knowledge and wisdom, which together are incredibly dangerous, uh, I mean to the devil, and also... Uh, cause much oppression to overcome you and overwhelm you. That's why there's much grief in it, and there's much sorrow as you increase in it. So the, impression, the oppression, the spiritual soul level, you know, mind level, it would be a combination of spirit, soul, and mind. That Those energies that are intermingled with the power of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, and the presence of Jesus within you, which is the Godhead, um, it, 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 it becomes heavily oppressed, and that can lead to depression, and that can also lead to emotional responses that are either borderlining on sin or are definitely in sin. And then don't even get me going on, oh, ye of little faith, and don't even get me going on, you know, our commandments to trust God and all the benefits and all the wonderful promises that we are given. 
You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you because he trusts you. Isaiah 26.3, which I have hanging on the front door of my house. On a, I bought one a, a magnetic uh, sign with it on there. Um, praise God. But we're all in different places in our walks. We are very, very blessed. I am very, very blessed that God has... I, that that my walk, I'm not going to say God or saint, and I'm simply going to say that my walk since the end of 2017 was absolutely jam-packed full of beatings of many different kinds that that are still continuing, of course. And they may never end because... The closer we get to the very end, in other words, if we're going, and I mentioned this before, if we're going to go through much darker, more difficult stuff than we originally hoped and have hoped for like forever, I mean, for, you know, forever meaning for maybe in some people's cases their entire lifetime, um, for some other people's cases it might be for 25 years. Some people's cases wasn't, wasn't until they woke woke up at maybe 2013 or 2015 or whatever, whatever. So we're all in that different place. But the point is that um, that you know that that uh, those beatings ultimately help us all. The more ugly that the Lord puts us through now, the more. And I, I, this is just the most sad thing to hear somebody say, but I totally get it, okay? I totally get it. Where you're just going, well, you know, I am reduced. I have no options. I can't go to the bank. I can't do this. I can't, you know, I, everything is dropping. All the doors are slamming in my face. I don't have any options. And that's exactly where the Lord wants you to be. The Lord would rather that you fall in love with him, and in the midst of your falling in love with him, you just love him so much, and you believe he loves you so much more, because he does, that, which, by the way, includes the negative battery of the terminal. I mean, you, you're going to, if he loves you, he's not going to let you stray too far off that narrow path especially as the time grows shorter, right? So your beatings will become more intense. The other reason why he'll let your beatings get more intense is because he knows that what you have in the future for yourself is going to require an extra portion of grace, long-suffering and self-control. Because we're not supposed to go through trials and tribulations, whining, complaining, uh, you know, criticizing, condemning, pointing fingers at other people, because that's exactly what the Israelites did, and that's why they spent 40 years in the desert. And we don't want to limit God. Again and again, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. That's, that's Psalm 7841, and it points directly to the Israelites. They spent 40 years in the desert. I've actually heard preachers and teachers come out and say, oh, well, the reason why they spent you know, 40 years in the desert was, and they make up some absolutely ridiculous reason. The reason was because of their behavior, which is a perfect shadow, or if you rather, a typology of what we have to go through, maybe starting tomorrow, or, or maybe we're already in the middle of going through it now. 
Maybe the grief and the sorrow that we're dealing with because of the circumstances in our lives that God has, by his mercy, allowed us to go through. No matter how horrible it is, no matter how much your hands are shaking, no matter how, how many times you look at your kids and go, oh, my Lord Jesus, what am I going to do if I lose my job? What am I going to do if I get evicted from this apartment? Uh, the, the rent has gone up 30%. It costs you know, two times more for this two-bedroom apartment than it does for a house. But nobody can afford to get into a house now, which, is, which of course, is all by design. And that's that's only for that group. Then you've got the the group that's retired, and they have a whole other portfolio of problems they got to deal with. Now, some of them are retired pretty comfortably, but eventually, you know what's going to happen because they're going to figure out a way, as we already already know, to come after all of it. This is universal. They hate. First of all, they don't they hate humans. We're not dealing with other humans that are just inherently evil. We're dealing with fallen angelic beings that hate us. We essentially as part of our pre-existence, when we elected our punishment on the earth because the crimes that we committed in the angel wars were uh not as bad as some others. Some of the angelic beings, species, etc., did really, really awful. I mean, they literally just went into the liquor store, shot up about 20 people, killed them, murdered them all, stole all the money. You know, we were kind of like innocent bystanders. We were like, you know, the last episode of the Seinfeld, just watching it happen. But we didn't, you know, but our crimes were obviously far less because, well, we're obviously part of the elect, especially if we're those that, you know, if God is blessing you with this information and you are able to receive it and you know in your heart that it's true, then believe me, you are. You you did go through this, I guarantee it. And that because you went through that election process and you were able to choose whether or not you ha- went to you know, you had to pick your punishment. When you commit a minor crime, a misdemeanor, or whatever the case is, the judge is going to basically say, hey, uh, you're going to have to do some public service. Uh, do you want to wear orange and you know pick up trash on Route 83, or do you want to go to Metropolitan Ministries and feed the hungry? Uh, what do you want to do, and how long do you want to – you know that kind of thing. You're going to have to do it. You know, he'll tell you how long you have to do it, but you can pick out what you want to do. That's electing what you want to do. That's, that explains the mystery of why so many people that have been taken to heaven or have had a heavenly encounter and met with Jesus or whatever found out at some point and told the believers on earth in their testimonies that, you know, we had some say in what we were going to do when we came here. Now it all makes sense. It, 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 it gels like a, like a, I mean, you know, <laughs> like a pudding cup, but it's just amazing. It just all falls into place beautifully. But um, if my current hypothesis, and and it's maybe it's a theory, I don't know, but if it's true and it's based on a pretty big Sears catalog of information over a lot of time, and certainly not somebody who's been a pew sitter in the last 15 years, 
And it's been like saying, okay, well, if I came this high, I got to be able to go a lot higher. So I was always looking for that next rung on the ladder to get up, you know. But God will, will, when it's him, he will confirm for you. If he wants you to know something, boy, he will confirm it in a big way. And um, and sometimes part of our test is we have to wait for that confirmation. Because the devil will slip you a mickey. Because here's the thing. So you can pray the best ever spiritual warfare prayers ever and call down the holy fire of God, surround your household, surround yourself, uh, you know, declare angel, angelic protection to follow you, uh, all kinds of things. And it's highly effective. And when Jesus said, you know, where it says in Colossians 2.15, having made, uh, you know, Having made, uh, uh, you know, uh, ha- having disarmed principalities and powers, making a public spectacle of them. Where is that public place that they were made a public spectacle of? Where is it? It's the air. It's it's the devil is the prince of the air. I like the term the air, although I hear from those who have moved through it with angels bringing them to heaven and back that the angels themselves hate it, and they don't like to go through it, which is why I always pray when I'm praying for lands, you know, like Ezekiel 22:30. Um, you know, I look for a man to stand in a gap before me, uh, you know, uh, you know, to pray for the land, but I found no one. You know, I, you know, again, I'm not direct quoting, but pretty close. So that's where, you know, when we're praying for countries and continents and millions and millions of people, well, we're not going to hit 100%. We know that. We're looking for a breakthrough for as many as we can get a breakthrough. Some of them are so possessed with demons that no matter, you know, they need more. They need like 30, you know, really determined Pentecostals to just come after them and lay hands on them to get those things out. Sometimes they're, you know, but, but we're just going for volume as best as we can. But I, it's one of the reasons why the Lord placed it upon my heart to command the um, the uh, you know uh, the spiritual realm to be parted as the Red Sea for safe passage for heaven's angels, heaven's resources, and heaven's power to move freely. Because we know as a fact, biblically speaking, without quoting all the scriptures, but we know as a fact, certainly in Daniel, uh, you know, like nine and ten. I think it's like especially 10. But anyway, you know, the whole thing with the, you know, the Gabriel and the angel that was supposed to give the answer to the Babylonian captivity prayers and, you know, the 21 day fast and all that and the Prince of Persia, blah, blah, blah. Well, we'll see, you know, that all that stuff's still for real. I mean, it's still going on today. And it's probably a lot worse right now, really, when you think about it, because if God, which we know as a fact that he has, has lifted his hand of protection off the earth, which he has, otherwise there would have been no global uh, bioweapon poisoning of mankind because God controls Satan. He, he keeps him in a sandbox. If Satan was allowed to do to you what he wants to do to you right now, you would wake up t- tomorrow with your arms and legs ripped off the torso of your body and your eyes gouged out, and you'd be bleeding out and then die, and it would be horribly painful. Because he hates our guts. That's how you know that God is involved in your life, even when you sometimes feel like he's not hearing your prayers. 
don't forget, somebody wrote me an email and I was like, oh, that's an excellent, excellent example, scripturally speaking. Don't forget, God, even with Abraham, made him wait for the very last second. The, it was, I, I would submit, based on what the scripture says in regard to Abraham holding his knife above his, his son, that God waited to the last nanosecond to stop him because God wanted to see. He wanted to walk walk the whole thing through to the very bitter end. He wanted to literally see that arm start to move down with the knife toward, what was it, Isaac? So the point is, that's our lives. That's our walk. And that walk is, you know, when especially when we're praying properly and we're not just, you know, praying crummily, just very poor prayer tactics. And, and the vast majority of people don't realize I'm going to do a show on a Wednesday night coming up soon on how Satan stops our prayers combat in the heavenly realm. I dislike that title. It's a misnomer and it's inaccurate. It has nothing to do with heaven. This notion that there's a second heaven and it's and, and it's like the I don't know the air around the earth or whatever or outer space that it's all incorrect. It's just incorrect. It's just bad translations. And people, here's the thing: people will tell you that uh, you know that they have they have the greatest translational tools. You know, they're they're the greatest scholars that they're you know they put a lot of effort into a lot of different you know and and and, they, and they're not joking. But digging deeper. And deeper and deeper in the Amazon rainforest is only going to show you a few more different species of bugs. You're never really going to figure it out until you get up on the ladder above the canopy of the Amazon forest. But most people who do their research think the secret is woven in the, you know, the Greek or the Hebrew, when in reality, the secret is when you come to a spiritual understanding where you're able to reason with the presence of the Holy Spirit and your learning experiences, real-world experiences, testimonies of people, testimonies of the body of Christ. Uh, you know, if you're a book reader, bio biographies of pe people like Lester Summerall, Smith Wigglesworth. When you put all that stuff together, you're getting such a wide array, such a humongous catalog of understandings. And it, that is a hum – it's an unspeakable blessing. It's an unspeakable blessing. You cannot quantify the size of that blessing. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. But unfortunately, the journey is very hard, and a lot of us are going through that very hard right now. Oh, if we could only come to that place where we trusted our Heavenly Father and were able to walk in peace because we knew that we knew that we knew, just like Smith Wigglesworth in his biography, he had been called to a revival in Australia. And back then, the mode of travel between continents was ships, you know, like the Titanic and stuff. So he would ride it. He'd get his ticket, you know. God would provide from love offerings or whatever. And he would get his ticket and go to the revival in Australia. Well, he did. But when he left the revival... 
um, I guess one of the elders or something at the revival had put a will, essentially a will call ticket. So he was instructed to go up to the office at the shipping ticket office and pick up the ticket that they already bought for him. But when he got there, there was no ticket. And then he's, you know, and then he's like thinking to himself, wow, I don't even have, I can't even buy food. I'm like totally stranded here. And he had already left all the, all of his brothers and sisters. You know, the revival was over. Everybody went home. There he is standing by himself by the ticket booth going, "Uh uh-oh, I can't get on the ship. I'm stuck, trapped. And he even said in his uh, in the biography that at that point in time, he knew in his heart. Now, this comes from experience, and most of us don't have those experiences. I don't. But he knew from his experience and traveling around and doing all these things for the Lord and even having Satan appear in his, you know, hotel one time. And, you know, he just basically told him to get lost and went back to sleep. Which, by the way, is proof positive that you can be as anointed and holy and and really walking the most uh, pure life ever, which Smith was an excellent example thereof. And there's Satan standing at the end of his bed. <laughs> you know, you know. Talk about the nerve, right? Now, of course, Smith gave him no regard and just went back to bed and oh, it's only you, and he rolled over. But Smith in, knew in his heart experientially, that because there was no way out, because he could not get on the ship, because there was no will call ticket, because he was completely stranded and had no other option, he knew instinctively that God had something else for him, and he actually started to get excited about it. How many of you out there could go through the threat of losing your job, if you're employed at all, or losing your uh, income from your Social Security or your retirement pension or whatever, totally losing it, and be at peace with it? Seeing that gigantic boulder rolling down the side of the mountain heading directly at you and people that are dependent upon you. Utterly destroying your life, your ability to serve and help others. Absolutely, bar none, the most crushing event, pun pun not intended, that could happen to you. How many of us can raise our hands and say that we would be like Smith and get excited and think, wow, God's got something else for me. Now, that's genuine, bona fide, trusting God. And that's why Smith walked in peace, even when he found himself in intensely desperate situations, because he knew that he was walking with God. Just as all of us should know that we are walking with God. So as we look around us at all the horrible things that are happening, and we, and we surmise... You know, we use our sanctified analysis, you know, mind or whatever. We just sit there and we think it through, hopefully not in fear, because fear robs. They've proved this scientifically. When, you're, when your brain goes into a state of fear, it actually disables the reasoning part of your brain. 
So you're, so all the options that the Lord could have placed upon your heart to bring you out of the ugly situation that you're in are canceled out because you're in fear. Fear. This is why the Bible spends so much time telling you that, you know, essentially fears of the devil. Perfect love casts out all fear. We are not given a spirit of fear, but a fear of love and, you know, power and a sound mind. First Timothy, you know, 2, 7 or whatever. Or 2 Timothy 7, 1, sorry. But anyway, the this is an amazing learn, learning experience for all of us. How then, without having the experiences that Smith Wigglesworth had, where God came through every single time, did Smith go through a period in his walk where, when bad things were happening to him, he maybe started to get kind of fearful, worried, paced the floor, made phone calls, oh, no, 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 oh, no, 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 kind of thing? Do you think he did? I do. I think he went through that. Because you just don't magically get to the point that he was at when he knew in his heart for sure that God had something really awesome for him because he had no escape. Imagine that. Imagine trusting your father and knowing, not just believing, knowing that God has something really awesome for you. And yes, it it might require you to make some pretty significant changes in your life that, and this is, you know, something that I face directly, certainly, uh, to some degree. But um, But I think we all do, really, to some degree. You know, we have our places of comfort, and I'm I'm a nester. You know, maybe you're not. You know, you, we've all been in someone's house at some point in our life that was sterile. Um, the all the walls were white. There was not even so much as a tiny little crumb for the mouse and the Grinch cartoon to come out and get. Everything, you know, was just in a perfect spot. There was no clutter at all. Everything, there were no sign of dust at all. And it's just sterile. White walls. I can't stand that. <laughs> okay. I want color. I want, you know, I hang, you know, I'm very decorative and ornate in the way that I, but when you're in a house for, wow, 20 Four, three years or something like that, 22 years, I think. I think. Um, and, and you are by nature a nester and you like art and you are decorative over that 22-year period of time. You know, people send you things, beautiful pieces of art. You might go to a Christian bookstore and see, like I did with, you know, with the Lord's Supper, a painting. It, was, it, was, it was, wasn't an actual painting, but it really looked like one. And it was beautiful, and I, I wanted it, and I, I hung it up in my living room downstairs. But the point is, when you're surrounded by that ornate decor, especially in my house. I've got Jesus everywhere. I mean, there isn't like a wall that you can look at that doesn't say Jesus. <laughs> I went nuts on my own house. And I mean, I got Jesus on the back of my car. I got a five by seven purple and, and gold uh, flag flying right outside my front door on a, on a little flag post uh, up pretty high. You know, and people, people drive by, can see, you know, per, you know, golden letters, Jesus on it. On the front door, like I mentioned, I got the Isaiah 26.3 on it, and it says, you know, 
Jesus on that. You can see that from far away. Um, and inside the house, I mean, you can't escape Jesus. Jesus is everywhere. I even have a sign downstairs, a big old thing that says, Be strong, and you know, Joshua 1, 9, right? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, nor thou be dismayed, that the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever you goest. And it has that, the, the, the scripture on the right, it has a picture of Jesus, uh, you know, uh, uh, in the center. And then to the left, I got an, a decorative sword, a, you know, a real decorative sword, not a real sword, you know, that you would use like in sword fighting or any of that weirdness it's just a sword it sits on a it's just it was inexpensive i got it off of ebay for like a song and then i i put above it you know in gold uh and black i put a little thing it says sword of the spirit you know above it so that's on the left jesus in the middle and joshua 1 9 is on the right be strong and of good courage be not afraid nor thou even be confused don't be confused about the things that are happening to you as if something strange has happened to you, but rejoice, because you're a fellow sufferer of Christ. Every single thing that happens to you in your life that puts you in a very... See, think about this. I didn't think about it this way. A lot of beatings before I went back, looked at the scripture and said, wait a minute, this is way deeper. What is it? What is suffering with Christ? Well, the bottom line is it's really just this simple. There's a lot of ways that you can suffer, physical and mental, and it just the list is huge. But what you don't normally think, but I believe with all of my heart is true and absolutely true, is that at any time in your walk that you're that you were going through difficult times taking beatings you might have have been in a stage of your life where you just felt like you were going through some hard luck times but remember this if the reason why you went through those hard times was because the darkness was beating upon you even if you were unaware of it, you were suffering for Christ because it was Christ in you that caused you to become a target in the first place. So as we all together go through the difficult times that we all together have to go through, the more we recognize first that Almost certainly we're going through the things that we're going through because God's – it's always multifaceted. It's lines upon lines, precepts upon precepts, here a little, there a little. Multifaceted, multi-level. And you're – invariably you're, you ought to realize or hopefully you will come to the understanding that the Lord has brought me to through the school of hard knocks, really hard knocks, that the um, – the net end result is is very positive, and it ought to condition us, but it's not an easy transition, to come to a place in our walk where we get closer and closer to that place that God brought Smith Wigglesworth to, where when we're going through something really bad, the, end re, the net end result is going to be exceedingly positive for us. 
In some cases, we can be so astray that what we go through, God is just essentially bringing us back close enough to the narrow path where we might be able to get past the beam of judgment seat and into heaven. You know, for some people that are, you know, utterly clueless and, you know, disobedient, and but they don't know the Bible very well. They've been taught incorrectly. So anyway, I I wanted to share that because I would I would submit that this my current dynamic in life I I've, you know there's always going to be it's always multifaceted it's always multi-level just like I used the example of a husband breaking up with a wife and all the different problems that that poor wife has to deal with housing and jobs and blah and daycare and the list just goes on and on it's like one event ten really bad results. All right. So anyway, um, so even though we're all going through different things, and maybe some of us are going through a period of respite, there are periods of respite. God, there's points where our Heavenly Father will realize that you've had about all you can take. You're on the edge. And he may lighten up on you for a while. And he, and he certainly will, will, as best as I can tell, the Lord will not bring you to a place where you, I hope he doesn't. I've heard stories, uh, testimonies, that in some cases it, the unfortunate things would happen and a person would turn against God. Hopefully, and then, of course, people pray, and then the best case scenario is that they repent and come back, which is a blessing, which is a wonderful thing. I've seen it happen. But in other cases, if they have a death in a family or they lose a wife or whatever the case may be, kind of like in the, the movie Signs with, um, oh gosh, I'm just trying to think. In the movie Signs with um, the uh, writer of, uh, I'm just going to type it in here and get it over with. Okay, movie Signs with Mel Gibson. So in the movie Signs with Mel Gibson, he plays the part of an ex-pastor, albeit, you know, it's irrelevant what type of pastor, but he lost all of his faith because his wife died. And he just couldn't believe that God would allow that to happen to him. So then he just came to the conclusion that there must be no God. And that's, that's where he was in his walk. Now, you know, the, by the end of it all, it worked out well for him. But the, the, the point being that some people can get so, you know, the scripture even says, when a man's ways bring, when, when a man's way brings himself to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. Because they don't understand what we're talking about right now. And how much more important is it for us to understand now, particularly if the path that God has laid out for you, Psalm 139, Ephesians 3.20. Was it 3.20? No, 2.10. Sorry. I think I got that right. Yeah, I know. I got to set aside. I, I have so many scriptures that I, it's just it, it takes hours to go through all of them and re-embed everything. And I got to do that again. Actually, I have a plan to reread the whole New Testament again because I'm at a whole different level. I'm a different. I'm in a different place. I have understandings that God has brought to me as a result of my beatings over the last several years. 
And now with those understandings, I can go back and look at the scriptures again. And my plan is, I, I, I'm trying to think. Of, I'm, my plan is to, to, I would like to do it reading using my PC study Bible because it has the ability on a big screen to put whatever translations side by side that you want to. Now I know a lot of apps can do that, but not like PC study Bible. Let me tell you something. That, that it's an amazing thing. And so you can put I want to put the New King James on the left, the amplified I'm sorry, the NLT in the middle and the amplified on the right. And I want to just kind of like go through the whole New Testament again and reevaluate stuff. And it's amazing what you'll be spiritually shown by the Lord when you do things like that. I'm just not sure that I, I just, it's an enormous undertaking and I'm not sure I'll be able to have the time. I'm, I may not be able to do it. I, it's just very time consuming when you're use, using three translations all simultaneously trying to get through the entire New Testament. I'd love to do it. I'd love to do it. Praise God. So anyway, I wanted to share that with you, that oppression, that that mental, spiritual mind, you know, the physiological oppression that we are under and the epiphany that I had today because I felt it so tangibly. And I know that we all, I, I, I can't speak for every single person that, that participates in the prayer vigil. It's more people than I thought. Um, but that didn't become obvious to me, in, in, you know, until I started hearing from all sorts of people that I never, I had never heard before, from before, and then I was like, oh wow, um, praise God for that. That's a, that's a that's a that's a praise Jesus thing if there ever was one. Hallelujah. Matter of fact, the prayer vigil really, I would submit, bar none, is is the of all the things that you know, tribulation now and and those of us involved in it and all uh, ha- have been trying to do to help people in their walk and growth especially in the mysteries of the Bible, because that's what the Lord wanted me to, I guess, become a specialist in, um, which is why he told me I had to get rid of everything that I was ever taught <laughs> you know, in 40 years of uh, in and out of church, churchianity, and many, many years studying under other really anointed um, believers and teachers, but they were wrong. And I still take whoopings, you know, uh, verbal verbal disputes. You, the, the Galatians 5.19 would call them contentions and dissensions. People come after me. They don't perceive it. They don't understand that they're in sin when they're doing it. They just don't know it. They don't understand it. But they are. Con- contentions and dissensions are explicitly named in Galatians 5.19 as behaviors that will rob us of our inheritance, which basically, I, as best as I can tell, our inheritance may even be as big as the part of the creation that we are given dominion over as r- fellow rulers and reigners with the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So I don't think it's contained to just, you know, planet heaven kind of thing. I think it is much bigger than that. It has to be, because it would make no sense if it was, hey, wow, your inheritance is you inherited this beautiful Thomas Kincaid country mansion. It's your inheritance. 
And you look, you know, you're looking at the four and twenty elders that are taking you on a tour, and you say, "Okay, so let me get this straight. I'm going to be here for all of eternity in this very beautiful place, all of eternity, and this is my inheritance." This, 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 thank you. I mean, I think that we would be ecstatic and happy, but it just doesn't make sense. Ruling and reigning for all of eternity with the He who created all of existence. It's a big deal, which is why we have to go through the, all the beatings, whoopings, and learning experiences and hopefully advance and grow closer to the Lord and come to that place where I want to come to myself, which is, we'll call it the Smith Wigglesworth zone. I want to come to that place where I believe, no, 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 where I know that because I'm going through this, because the Lord is allowing, you know, you know, kind of putting me in an Abraham position with Isaac and that kind of, you know, whole thing. you know, when you when you're there, you know, where Job was in Job thirteen fifteen, though he, the Father, slay me, yet I will trust him. What a profound verse. Though God Himself slays Job, He's saying. I will still trust him after he lost his family, everything. All dead. His life destroyed. His friends accusing him of doing something wrong. And he says, well, though the father slay me, I still trust him. To realize this is a hologram as Einstein said, albeit a very convincing one, which is absolutely true, because if you understand quantum mechanics and subatomic particles, then you know as a fact that it's a hologram, which aligns with the scriptures that tell us that what where we are and what we perceive is temporary, and they call it temporal, and uh, there's a slight nuance between temporary and temporal. And... Um, Temporal, temporal kind of means that it's temporary, but it's not really fully tangible either. It, you know, it's like, and then it says, but the, but the things that are real we can't see, which of course is vividly this, uh, experienced and expressed by those who have had near death experiences or death experiences is what they really are, and they've left their body and maybe went on to be with Jesus and hang out with him for a few days or whatever while it seems like a couple of hours on the operating table. Their sensitivities, their ability to see colors is so mind-bending and mind-blowing that they're, they, they wonder why they would ever want to go back into that disgusting clay body that they can see on the operating table. They're, it, it, they're just blown away. They're like, wow! We got all those wows ahead of us. We're in the hologram now. And hopefully we will keep trying, keep praying, keep seeking Jesus, keep all the way up to the point that our hands are just about to come down and ram that knife into our child. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. To that very last minute when you're – so many Christians, even good ones, they, they will give up. 
they stop praying over something. They have an issue. They have a problem. They have a challenge. They have a behavior in their lives, whatever it is, and they're asking God for help. And after a few weeks, a few, couple months maybe, they're like, well, I guess the answer is no. And the, and, and the fact of the matter is it could be, but it's highly unlikely. And especially if you're praying for anything that would improve your walk or improve somebody else's walk and glorify God. It is extremely unlikely. You probably, you quit praying way too soon and you should have never quit praying anyways. Because the second that you quit praying, you, oh, you, you, by virtue of not maintaining your force field and not continuing to push through in that prayer and free up those angels and heavenly resources, and, and you, you, you're, you're pulling them down. You're pulling them down. You're, you're bringing into, into effect on the earth, in this hologram, in this realm, you're bringing those heavenly powers into this realm by virtue of sticking to it. The scripture says we should always pray. Then it uses the parable of the the the, the uh, you know the um, the widow. So anyway, I just wanted to share this this with you because it was an epiphany that the Lord has laid upon my heart, uh, connecting all the dots all the way over to the Smith Wigglesworth testimonies, the things that I realized that were happening to me. We're all going through stuff. But I'm going to share with you one more cool verse because it's a real eye-opener. This was shared, and I, I want to give a shout-out. I don't even know if she'll listen to the program because she's she's going through so much ugly right now that, you know, it, it's pretty horrible. And that's okay. We just keep on praying for one another. This is how important it is to our Heavenly Father that the saints pray for one another. And so when I say any of you who even so much as mentions me to the Lord in prayer, I'm I promise you that I will pray to the Father for a tenfold blessing, divine protection, peace to fall upon your heart, blood of Jesus to heal your wounds and, and sicknesses. And I do. I do. And I'll tell you Sister Nancy gave me this scripture one time because I was going through some, just a pile of ugly the size of the Empire State Building. And I said, would you pray? I told her exactly how I needed her to pray for me because I, I understand that if you are wishy-washy and you know, you, you, the more accurate you are and the more you know about the situation, the more effective your prayers are going to be. When you're vague about how you pray, can you imagine? The angels are all like sitting in a corner kind of going, well, what do you think the person really wants? I don't know. I don't know. They just said, um, you know, no, I don't know. I don't know what the root cause is. I don't know what it is we're supposed to do. They, They weren't really very clear on what they were praying for. First Samuel twelve twenty three was what Sister Nancy gave me. Now what this is while she's under several quarry trucks of ugly and we always pray for one another because we it gives us great comfort 
to know that we're praying for one another. And it should give us all on this prayer vigil great comfort to know that we are all praying for one another, even as the prayer vigil is going on. And ideally, we would continue to do so as each day goes by. Now, granted, you'll, you know, I can tell you that some of the ugly that I've been through lately has put me in such despair because, oh, ye of little faith, um, because I didn't trust God adequately enough like Smith Wigglesworth did. I um, started to worry and let fear set in, so I wasn't thinking clearly. Um, but, But, you know, I... I was robbing myself of what could have been a blessing by allowing fear to enter into my heart. And I'm still keenly aware that I could get an email to, you know, literally Monday morning, or uh, not Monday, Liberty, but, you know, Tuesday morning, I could get an email and, and, and say it's from these two people, and I would know that my time has come. I am now going to be unemployed. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't have something really, really, really cool and awesome for you. Maybe out of your comfort zone, but I can tell you that I am a big fan of studying witticisms from very famous people over the years and then taking those witticisms and mapping them back to the Holy Bible. Because invariably, if it's a, very, if it's a witticism, I mean, if it's really witty and it's really impressive, it's highly likely it's in the Holy Bible. So, um, and one of those, <clears throat> I, let me see if I can find it. Um, wow, I've made myself so many notes that it, <laughs> it's like overwhelming to find what it is I'm looking for. Um, let me just see if I can find it quick enough. Wisdom. Ah, So let's see where it is. I think it's in the wisdom uh, section. This is where Mark Twain said, I don't even know if he was a Christian or not. Whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it's time to pause and reflect. Wow. Too bad churchianity in Babylon the Great doesn't do that. Few do. They escape. Here's another one. Harry Beecher Stoke. Never give up. Oh, this is so. This is so. Adam. I'm sorry. This is so. Abraham asked. It's unbelievable. Listen to this. Never give up because that is just the place and time that the tide would have turned. Never give up because that's just the place and time that the tide would have turned. Henry Beecher Stoke. Here's another one. Anyone who lives within their means suffers from a lack of imagination. The person was the last name was Wild with an E on the end. That's great. Um I'll listen to this one. This is awesome. Praise Jesus. Many a false step was made by standing still. Wow, that's a paradox, but so true. Here's one. Action may not always bring happiness, but there is no happiness without action. Oh, and this is the one I, I 
This is the one the Lord just gave. Here it is. Kaplow. Bang, bang. Here it is right in your face, Johnny. I mean, this is a big notepad here. There's a lot of, lot of, lot of them in here. Here's the one that I was looking for. What we fear doing the most is usually what we most need to do. What we fear doing the most is usually what we most need to do. And I have my little comfort zone. The idea of leaving my house is an unpleasant thought. The idea of changing jobs is an unpleasant thought, even though my job is like <laughs> insane um, and 10 times more insane now than it was two years ago. Uh, and that's not an exaggeration, by the way. <clears throat> I'll spare you the details. But anyway, isn't that something? feel blessed by the Lord to be able to share this all with you, because even though it may not be applicable to every single person, I know it's applicable to probably the majority. In some rhyme or some fashion it is. And it will help, because whenever we know why something is happening to us, or what the three most likely reasons are, and and how it impacts our eternity and eternity compared to what we're going through here on earth now really how inconsequential is it all in the grand scheme of all of eternity glory the honor the rewards the ruling and reigning the places in creation that Jesus would trust us to have dominion over, maybe? I'm pretty sure I'm right about that. But this was the scripture that Sister Nancy quoted me. I said to her, I was going through an especially difficult time. And I asked her very specifically how I needed her to pray for me. I, I even said to her, I said, please ask the Lord to forgive me of my sins because I was struggling so much. And I knew that, that the scripture says that, you know, and I cover this in, in the prayer vigil all the time, and I, I think I can scroll down real quick and find the scripture because I have them collected. But it's in John. I think it's John twenty twenty five. 25. Um, let's see here. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John twenty twenty three. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Well, if a fellow saint who's a, who's a royal priest, which they are, is going on your behalf to the Father and saying, Father, forgive them. They're going through hard times. I pray, Lord, that you will just extend grace, extend peace, bring them through it. And forgive them, Father. I, I, When I pray for people, including you, I pray like that. I ask God to forgive you of your sins because I figure if you're anything at all like me, you probably don't even know all the things that you're doing wrong. I doubt many of us do. I mean, even Daniel, it's mind-blowing that in Daniel 9.25, he comes right out and, and says that he was confessing of his sins before the Lord. Daniel, like, hello, 
So I hope this is encouraging because I don't know about you, but I know about at least me, and I know there are some others out there that are, you know, hypersensitive, emotional, you know. I think that's a gift from God because that's why Jesus seemed to favor Peter so much. The only reason I can figure out why is because the, the, the when the emotions when the emotional energy is channeled, yes, I use the word channeled, and I know there's a lot of Christians that think they have a clue, and they'd say, "Well, Johnny's a New Ager," you know, whatever. I'm over all that because you know, after 12 years of listening to that mumbo jumbo baloney, it you know. But anyway, when when we when we are able to understand why we're going through all this stuff. It allows us to focus better, to understand, to understand what our goals need to be, to be maybe even come to a place of peace, which is really important because it allows you to continue to reason. God can more easily communicate with you. You might not even be able to hear what God is trying to share with you because you have fear and worry in your heart. And now, you know, to borrow uh, Joy Jeffries Pugh's, you know, one of the things that she's focused, you know, she's always mentioning the pineal gland, right? Because it, it you know, it's arguably the, the part of our body that connects to our spiritual energies. And, um, you know, when that whole thing shuts down, you're, your fear has cut you off from hearing what you need to hear. That's not an ideal place to be because in that state, your situation is going to cascade in your head and you are going to imagine the absolute worst case scenario when instead you should be praising Jesus because there's life and death in the power of the tongue. Power of the tongue. That's the key. Power of the tongue. Why so? We sh- that's why we must speak positive. As soon as we start to go in the woe is me state, we're, go- we're allowing energies, negative energies that are not of God, because perfect love cast out all fear, that shut us down. And we are not able to hear. We're not able to reason our way through a mess. We can't hear what God has in store for us, and we don't derive peace from it, and it causes a domino effect that ultimately leads to us being in a worse place than we should have ever had to go in the, at all. Now, the hard part is putting it into practice. And I... I and and it takes effort. It takes a lot of effort. But you first have to know why. You first have to know that God waited to the last nanosecond to stop Abraham from swinging his arm downward. And if he did that with Abraham, of course he's going to do it with us. He wants to see what kind of metal you got. Hutzvah. He's testing you to see if you have true faith. 
and that you really understand who he is. So I says in John 16, too, they will kick you out of the synagogues. Yes, there will come a time that they kill you and think they have done God a service, but they do this because they have not known the Father nor me. If you don't know God, if you don't understand why, then you'll never come to that cool place that Smith was at in his walk at the time where he was getting excited, truly excited. And then, lo and behold, as he sat there on the bench, right there at the ticket station, watching his ship sail away, a man in the crowd started to yell over to him, Smith Wigglesworth! Smith Wigglesworth, I'm so glad that you haven't left yet. We have another uh, event and a revival that we are blessed to be able to have in such and such a place. And would you come with me, brother? I uh, have all the money, and I will put you up in this beautiful place, this hotel. And Smith was like, there it is. There's the blessing. Because he never let doubt enter his mind. He knew it. He knew it. Wouldn't our lives be so much better if we did too? And unfortunately, I'll close this commentary with this one thought. It is highly likely that our challenge to come to that place is going to be much more difficult because we are in so deeply into the end times. I don't know if you have seen this or not, and we're going to go, we're going to start praying. I see that I'm running out of time once again, but such an important message for so many. And, and like I said, it, it almost feels like my life, like I'm the guinea pig to get beaten up first, and then I get to share with people what I learned from it. It doesn't mean I've arrived. I'm still working on it. I want to arrive. I don't want to have fear. I don't want to trust God. But anyway, I, I, I'll, you know, because of how deep we are into the end times, it is possible, and that we're going to have to rapidly undergo change, and we're going to have to suffer a lot along the way, even more so than our predecessor, fellow brothers and sisters from times past times gone by, just because of the time that we're in right now. I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not. You you probably are. But it merits repeating praise God because it's so very deeply important to understand, well, where we are. How deep are we into the end times? Well, last night, well, this morning, in fact, well, I did not listen to Joe Biden's babbling psycho-demonic speech from Philadelphia. I, I knew I'd catch up with that after, after, after the fact. That's good enough for me. I don't need to see it live in Technicolor. Just make me want to Ralph. But anyway, on um, I believe it is possibly Breitbart news or one of those, 
<clears throat> they had published a photograph of a specific moment in time when Joe Biden was doing his speech from Sorry, I messed up. The entity that refers to itself as Joe Biden. And the snap, the photograph, the whole, the whole scenery. It was a setup. It was a mockery. Uh, most people, you know, a lot of people, I don't think even noticed. But these folks did. I don't. And again, I don't know if it was from Breitbart. Uh, um, I. I and I know Sister Nancy's not listening right now because she is sending me messages and, and I can't answer them while I'm on a call, on, on this show. So she'll just have to wait. But anyway, um, oh, and I didn't share with you that scripture she gave, she gave me because I asked her to pray for me, but the scripture is so powerful. I want to share it with you. It's amazing. It's eye-opening. 1 Samuel 12, 23. Moreover, as for me... Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Wow. Imagine that you're sinning against God by ceasing to pray for your brothers and sisters. That's a powerful verse. But I do know that I, I, I abide by it. I abide by it. Praise God for that. But it's good for all of us to know because this is the real deal stuff here. That we, we really need to embrace this, especially now. doesn't mean that we stop praying for the lost. No way. But praying for our fellow brothers and sisters and yourself don't buy that baloney that people in this those memes that people have. Oh, if you pray for enough of other people, uh, you will never have to pray for yourself. And I'm like, that is absolutely beyond anti-scriptural, anti-Christ, and it is a wrongful understanding that is dangerous. Physician, heal thyself. Sick physicians, which we're all physicians in that metaphor. All of us are physicians. If you're sick, you're not going to do anybody around you any good. So the first place you got to focus your prayer on is you. You have to fall in love with God, and that takes prayer. You have to learn to trust God, and that takes prayer. You have to understand why you're going through the things so that you don't get all bummed out and the demons jump all over you and tell you that you're not worthy. So you become utterly worthless to the kingdom, and you sit there, and you pout, and you're in misery because you don't feel worthy. That's exactly where the devil wants you, incapacitated, to check a little box. So anyway, um, I wanted to share that scripture with you and then also point out that when by... When the entity that refers to itself as Biden, but is under the marionette control strings of the Antichrist, known as Barry Satoro, born in the land of the Nubian pharaohs, who, by the way, in his fake name of Barack Hussein Obama, we all now know, of course, and have known, I mean, the list of things that are biblical that he, I mean, married to a man, that looks like a woman. The scripture says the Antichrist will have no interest in women whatsoever. Now, people try to convolute it, of course, because they don't understand that he's married to a man. 
And Macron is too, by the way. The Illuminist uh, Macron, the head of France right now. Not only is he in the Illuminati, but he's also married to a transvestite. Evidently, once you get that high up in Satanism, it becomes something, I don't know, whatever. But circling back to this entity that calls itself Biden, that is controlled by the Antichrist, who, by the way, Obama gave his inaugural speech in a mock-up of the Temple of Zeus inside the, the, the uh, Broncos Stadium. The Temple of Zeus is the Temple of Satan. Okay? But people are fickle, and they give up. So all these people that wrote books and were talking on all these radio shows about how God showed them that Obama was the Antichrist, they've all moved on. They're fickle. They're like, well... Obama disappeared. We're now we're, we got Biden in the presidency. I'm like, no, you, man, you are missing it. Man, you are missing it so bad. It's just absolutely a, a, it's not a good thing. We just go, oh, I guess I was wrong. And we take, you know, three, four years of our work and toss it aside and go say, well, I guess the Antichrist is Trump or whatever. And when that doesn't work out, oh, I guess the Antichrist is my dog or Donald Duck or Mickey Mouse or whatever. We just, you know, we just keep on changing, 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 changing. Now, I'm not going to do that. I know he's the Antichrist. Look at the photograph. I Like, again, I really, really deeply wish that I had saved the source that I took this snapshot from. But I got it from the Drudge Report. And it might still be up there even today because I don't think he changes some of the bigger headlines that often. But it actually said in the link, photo from hell, exclamation point, on the Drudge Report site. And I clicked on it. And it had, this photo was taken at precisely the perfect moment to capture this entity in its state that you can quickly look at it and see how satanic it is. First and foremost, if you understand satanic ritual, which, by the way, I don't recommend you watching the movie. However, back before I was where I was at now in my walk, I did watch the movie years and years and years and years and years ago, before I started doing any of this stuff, you know. And I was, you know, the movie um, uh, Eyes Wide Shut. During the satanic ritual ceremony that is occurring, which is pretty much most most of the movie, unfortunately, um, you'll see an awful lot of scarlet and purple, you know, basically. And that, interestingly, is also the colors that the book of Revelation equates with the woman who rides the beast. Okay, she was clothed in scarlet and... I forget what the what the other word was. But anyway, it's, it's, it's essentially a scarlet color and a purple color. Well, what you will discover if you were to watch the Satanic Ritual Ceremony in Eyes Wide Shut, you would see that the same colors were used by the Grand Master Poobah, or whoever it was who was running the Satanic Ritual Ceremony in the center of the ring. So that those are Satanic colors. Those are Satanic 
That's very satanic. I mean, if you want to go watch a blood them murder a baby and drink blood, that's the those are going to be the colors that are all around you. The floor will be red, bright red carpet, <clears throat> probably to signify blood of humans. And I don't know what what the purple or the scarlet is. Probably a mockery of the um, sashes that the Levitical priest wore. <clears throat> Excuse me. But anyway, in this photograph, the entity that refers to itself as Biden is encircled by, and again, the, the, the headline reads, photo from hell, quote, dark Biden demonic Joe calls for unity while attacking half of the voters, claims that MAGA is an extreme ideology. So basically what he said, very clearly, but he's denying it now. But who knows how perfectly possessed he was by the seraphim that is inside of him the reptilian creature. I, I can tell you that from my experience in spiritual warfare and things that I've been exposed to, that when a person is in a per- perfectly possessed state and that demon has full control of all their capacities, their voice, their heart rate, everything, in that state, when the person gets to the next day and they go to bed and they wake up the next day, they don't remember it. They don't remember it. They don't remember it. So when Biden says, well, I didn't say that, it's because he clearly, that entity, you know, the the tiny little percentage of whatever might have been human at one time, it doesn't remember. But anyway, this photograph is, the the whole thing was a mock-up. It was a mock-up of a satanic ritual ceremony. It was lit in blood red all behind him. He's holding his fists up in the air and yelling with an angry, black-eyed, satanic look on his face. And behind him are two armed Marine Corps soldiers. One to the left, one to the right. It is an exact mock-up of Nazi Germany and the rise of the Fuhrer. The look on his face and the way his fists are clenched looks identical. The red, the scarlet, the purple, the whole thing, the military on the left and the right, it really is a photo from hell. And it really is a demonic event happening before the entire world depicting the rise of the Fourth Reich right here in this country, happening right now. So as I sit here before you, I am looking at that picture And to anyone who's even remotely awake of what is happening in the earth and how close we are to to Obama being having Satan take control of his body and ultimately being put in charge of this country to bring it to its absolute ruin. And we have to be here until no one's eligible for the rapture or any one of them, you know. Barley, we know one until the Antichrist is manifested. 
And, you know, the strong delusion occurs, which means Antichrist plus aliens. Got to put them together. Antichrist plus aliens. Okay? Then we get to go. But when you see this picture, the message that it clearly gives me, a person who wrote, you know, uh, an article, golly, 13 years ago? That the I, the rise of the about the rise of the Fourth Reich, and that was just back when I discovered what the FEMA coffins were for, for burning human bodies, and I equated it directly over to Treblinka and you know the other death camps. Anyway, we are so close, folks. Now, can I quantify that? I can't. Can I state that Newt Gingrich? Newt Gingrich went on Fox News and publicly stated to whoever was watching that he believes that they are going to indict Donald Trump. Now, whether that actually happens or not, we have yet to see. But in his opinion, they are going to indict Donald Trump. However, oddly, it was stated that they're planning on doing it after the midterm elections. And I have a problem with that because they have to stop the midterm elections. Sarah Palin failed to take back the uh, governorship of, of Alaska, and it was given to a Democrat. I'm telling you, folks, these satanic beings that we are dealing with are much more powerful and much more intelligent than we realize and there is already very noteworthy signs that we are – the Republicans are not going to take back control of anything at the midterms. Roe versus Wade has turned an untold number probably in the millions of voters to – that would have voted against the Democratic Party that they align themselves with typically, but now they're staunchly aligned with it. Don't even get me going on the busing of all of the Latinos all over the country and all that. There's so many things that are being done on a grand scale. I have this – in a way, it's kind of a happy feeling because I know that if the midterms are lost and the Republicans do not take over power, that it's totally game over that words cannot describe. They'll indict Trump. He will be ineligible for 2024. Some some people will say, "Well, Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis." No, 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 no. I, they could they could put Jesus himself up there on, and it, it, you know, the point of no return has probably already come and gone, but we just don't quite realize it. And I admit it; I raised my hand as well. So, uh, but. God is in control. God is in control. And never forget the priest of Baal moment when Elijah called down the fire and not only humiliated the priest of Baal, but then killed them all off. God loves to humiliate the enemy. Which is probably why they always have a plan A, plan B, and plan C. So we just have to hang in there and wait and see. But every week that goes by is just another week that we have 
to learn what Smith Wigglesworth learned in his walk, to learn to be excited about the change, even though it's taking us or could, could take us out of our comfort zone, which is probably where we ought to be now anyway. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you for the opportunity once again to use these technologies, to use the benefits of your grace by allowing me to stay employed even now. Um, after so many of my friends and fellow brothers and sisters in Christ uh, have been kicked to the streets, I thank you, Jesus, that I'm not in a state of turmoil, that we can have these prayer vigils, that we can continue to do this ministry. I know at, at how at risk it put, appears to be in the fleshy spirit or the fleshy eyes that I have. And I just want to praise you, Father. I want to say thank you for for the technologies. Thank you for uh, my paycheck that allows me to be able to serve you and help other people. It gives me great joy to to do that, and I don't ever want to stop. I don't want to be hindered, but of course, Lord, it's your will that needs to be done. And we are all subject to massive change, and we don't know what the hows, the whys, and the wheres we're going. We just need to learn to totally trust you so that we're able to receive the glorious blessing that you have for us, even in the dark times that we have ahead. We praise you, Father, for these epiphanies, these great revelations of understanding and wisdom, that without these beatings that we have gone through, without these challenges and trials and tribulations, as they're called in the Scripture, we wouldn't even be able to reason our way through. We wouldn't even be able to understand, and we would be sitting there befuddled, wondering what went wrong and why hast thou forsaken us, when in reality it was our own behavior that led us into that place. Oh, Lord, our God, we praise you because you do love us more than anything that we could ever imagine. It isn't that we're not worthy, or it it isn't that we are not worthy to be eligible. We are, how do I say this? Father, we, it isn't that we, we have to learn through your grace, oh Father, to, to understand that we are, by our own nature, perpetually and forever unworthy, and not allow the devil to convince us that we are unworthy so that we don't continue the journey. And we just fold our hands and sit there and say, I'm not, you know, if I make it, I make it, praise God, and if I don't, I don't. But, you know, Father, don't let us become defeatist. Don't let us get that bad attitude. Help us, Father, continue to help us in this journey. Continue to bless us with incredible grace, and continue, Lord Jesus, we pray, to lift us up out of the challenging place that we find ourselves in, oh, so very often, so that we are able to continue our journey and become more closer to what you would want us to have in our walk and in our hearts as we go through the bumpier roads ahead. Thank you, Lord, for what you have taught us. We praise your holy name. We thank you for this time to be able to come before you and pray, praise your name, and lift you up, and just honor and worship you, and thank you, Jesus, for everything that you have done for us and all the things that we know, not just believe, but we know that you will do for us. We praise you for helping us 
through all these confusing things and bringing us to a wonderful place in our walk where we can look at these things and not be anything but excited about what the next chapter holds. We give you all the praise, worship, honor, and glory, both now, Father God, and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray and thank you. Amen. Hallelujah. Tonight is September, September the 2nd of 2022. The got to focus my eyes because I'm getting older than, you know, uh, Moses, I guess. Uh, the 6th of Elul, 5782. The next holiday is, hey, check that out. Talk about being overwhelmed with, like, getting beatings. <laughs> Hallelujah. The next holiday is Rosh Hashanah, September the 26th of 2022. Wonder what the Lord has in store for us this year. Praise his holy name. We praise you, Jesus. And tonight, together, we light the Sabbath candles. One for the Father. There we go. One for the Father. I like the light three. One for the Son. Praise you, Jesus. And one for the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The Hebrew Kadesh. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Borei Peri HaGafen Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher kitshanu b'mitzvotav v'ratzavanu V'shabat kodsho v'yava u'v'ratzon hinchilanu Zikaron l'mase v'reshit Ki hu yom techila Lemikra e kodesh, zechelitiat mitraim. Kivanu vacharta, veotanu kidashta, mikol hamim. Vishabhat kodshecha be'ava uvratzon hinchaltanu. Baruch atadonai mekadesh Praise God. Arise, my love, my beautiful companion, and run with me to the higher place. For now is the time to arise and come away with me. For you are my dove, hidden in the split open rock. Was I who took you and hid you up high in the secret stairway of the sky? Let me see your radiant face and hear your sweet voice. How beautiful your eyes are in worship, and lovely your voices in prayer. You must catch those troubling foxes, those sly little foxes that hinder our relationship, for they raid our budding vineyard of love to ruin what I've planted within you. Will you catch them and remove them for me? We will do it together. 
Praise God. He restores our soul. He leads us in the path of righteousness for his sake. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. I wonder if that includes eternity. Oh, it does. Because it says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23, 3 through 6. For thus says the high and lofty one, who inhabits all of eternity, whose name is Holy, our Father. I dwell in the high and holy place, he says, with him who has a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble, and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. When do you think he's going to... Hmm. on earth praise God Lord make us an instrument of your peace where there is hatred let us sow love where there is injury let us sow pardon where there is doubt let's help people to have faith again where there is despair let's give them hope where there is darkness let's show them the light And where there is sadness, let's give them a reason to have joy. Father, we pray that we will not so much to be, you know, want to be consoled, but to console and bless others, to be, not so much that we need to be understood, but to understand how others feel. Not so much to be loved ourselves, but to be desirous to love others. For it is in giving that we receive and pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Thank you, Father.
Jesus, please cleanse and totally purify our heart, our mind, our soul, our spirit, and our flesh, our record-keeping books in heaven and our robe and gown in heaven with your precious blood and your holy fire. Thank you, Jesus. Principalities, powers, and strongholds, spiritual hosts of wickedness, rulers of darkness and high places, in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus, we come against you. We disarm you. With the sword of the Spirit, we cancel your assignments against us. We tear up all demonic contracts, all demonic agreements, and we bind and cast them into the pit, into the lake of fire, Gehenna, in Jesus' name. And we cast you into chains of darkness. We declare angels to place you under arrest and cast you into the pit and to weld the pit shut with the fire of God. Unclean spirits, deaf and dumb spirits, anything that cannot call Jesus its Lord and Savior, attempting to come against us. Live or dead human spirits, anything that works on behalf of Satan, any member of a witch coven, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, that at the very moment that you set your wills against us, we decree in Jesus' name the holy fire of God to shoot down from the glory pillar and to burn you into screaming agony. We declare that that white hot fire will stick to you and you will continue to scream, running through the spiritual realm and frightening and scattering all the demons of evil and darkness in all directions. We pray in the name of Jesus for warrior angels of great stature and archangels to follow to be sent into the spiritual realm to cut you into pieces and to wage war against you since such has never been seen since there was time. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. We declare the holy fire of God, a whirlwind of the Holy Spirit, to blow it white hot and to encapsulate our entire dwelling places. We declare in the name of Jesus that the holy fire of God will wrap around like a 
fire tornado. Our prayers as we pray them, as they move up through the spiritual realm, melt the firmament of the rock, scattering the darkness in all directions, and enter directly into the throne room of God unhindered in Jesus' name. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus for a platoon of warrior angels to be assigned to us on a search and destroy mission to be sent out to ferret out any portals that have been opened, to ferret out any indirect attacks to, uh, that are uh, uh, that are pointed at us, but indirectly. Father, we pray in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus, Nehemiah's prayer in our favor as he prayed in Nehemiah 1.11. Oh, Lord, we pray. Please, Father, let your ear be attentive and, 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 the, and the prayers of all of your servants be heard. And the prayers of all the servants to defire, who desire to fear your name. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray that you will allow all of your servants that are praying to you right now to prosper this day, tomorrow, and in the days ahead. And that you will grant us mercy in the sight of those of whom we must answer. For Proverbs 21.1 says, Father God, and we pray this in the name of Jesus, that which is bound on earth is bound in heaven, that which is loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. Matthew 18.18, we pray, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Proverbs 21.1, for the king's heart is in the hands of the Lord, like the rivers of water you turn it wherever you wish. Father, we all, well, maybe not all of us, but most of us have a type of king in our lives that has control over it. And we pray in the name of Jesus, whatever that may be, that you will grant us your grace and mercy and that you will allow only the good to be seen in us, that you will take the evil that might be used against us by the demons that control those who are above us in high places. And we pray in the name of Jesus, Father God, that you will change their hearts and you will make good eyes blind in our favor that we may be set free to serve and glorify your holy name until the day of our departure, the day, as it says in Daniel 12, the word deliverance, which also means, in the Hebrew, slippery escape. Glory be to Jesus. We thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Father, forgive us all. We plead the blood of Jesus upon us. We are unworthy. We know we are. We know we are. Thank you for bringing us to the place that you have brought us, and thank you for continuing the journey. Thank you for allowing whatever trials and tribulations must befall us, regardless of what the circumstances are, that we would ultimately walk in your will. Thank you for the progress that I have seen in my walk. It has been remarkably slow, but nevertheless, I see it, and I praise you for it. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, on behalf of everyone who is praying along with this prayer, forgive us all of our sins, even those of which we are unaware of. And for those that we are aware of and sometimes slip back into, because we haven't, well, we haven't mastered perfection. 
You are perfection, and we depend upon you to help us. And we thank you for helping us. We thank you for bringing us to that place that we need to be where you see us as worthy, not just called, but chosen. May we serve you with grace, honor, and being as close to Jesus in our behaviors to other people as is humanly possible with your anointing. In Jesus' name we pray, and thank you, Father God. Holy oil time. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we consecrate ourselves to the complete ownership of the name of the Lord Jesus and into the hands of Jesus Christ. We renounce all things spoken of in the darkness against us. We break all yokes of bondage that have attempted to be placed against us. We declare the abundant grace of God, the living water, the crystal river, to wash us pure and clean. Just like it says in Second Corinthians seven one. Now knowing these things, brethren, let us cleanse ourselves of all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of our Father. And the possibility that he could, although probably be unlikely, cast us into hellfire. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy. Thank you, Father, for your mercy. Thank you for keeping us protected in your hands. Thank you, Father, for protecting us in your hands. We plead the blood of Jesus to heal us. We plead the blood of Jesus into all of our wounds, our sore knees, our our painful hips, our difficulty walking. We plead the blood of Jesus into our cardiovascular systems that have been failing some of us. We plead the blood of Jesus to heal us. We claim that promise because we know that you will touch us and change us in accordance with your holy will. Father, we praise you for bringing us through this journey little by little, making progress along the way, perhaps not as fast as we think it ought to be, but we thank you especially that we're able to perceive it. We declare that no weapons raised against us, earthly or spiritual, shall even exist, for that the moment that they are raised against us, we declare the fire of God to vaporize them, and we decree the fire of God to burn the entity that attempted to raise them against us into perpetuity, into agony, screaming out in pain. For we have come to punish you before your times, demons of darkness. We are here. For our Lord Jesus Christ said that greater things than these will we do because he has gone unto the Father. John 14, 12, 13, and 14. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We rebuke the devil. We rebuke all the demons of darkness. We rebuke anything that cannot call Jesus its Lord and Savior. We bind you in the name of Jesus Christ and cast you into the pit. We declare the pit to be welded shut by the holy fire of God. We declare the fire of God to permeate the pit and to burn you into screaming agony. And we plead the blood of Jesus to seal the pit for only the Lamb of God can break the seals. Praise you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father God, we abandon ourselves into your hands, and we pray that you will do with us whatever it is that you will. Let your will be done in our lives. Whatever you do, we are going to praise you. Though he slay me, we will trust you. We are ready for all, or at least we pray that we are. 
And if we aren't ready for all, Lord, please continue. Continue to bring us on the difficult, bumpy, tribulation-filled journey so that we are more ready, more prepared to do that which you have written in our books before there was time. Let only your will be done in us. This is all we want, just your will. We know it's not going to be easy. Into your hands we commit our souls and our spirits. We offer it all to you because we love you and we know that you love us. We need to be able to surrender ourselves with trust into your hands and receive the bounty of peace that you will anoint us with by doing so. In the name of our Lord, loving, kind, merciful, prayerful, sympathetic, compassionate eyes of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Hallelujah. And amen. Thank you, Jesus.
Because the Lord showed me something just like earlier today that I wanted to share with you. It's kind of long, and I don't know if I have time to read it all. So let's go ahead and take communion without, you know, the longer version of it all, which which is a blessing. Don't get me wrong. I understand that. It's it, I love it. But let's go ahead and take communion together because I want to try to read this to you because it's going to bless you in a big, big way. And all of us need, well, <laughs> a big old blessing, especially now. And this is that. This is that. This will give you a powerful, powerful blessing. But let's go ahead and take communion. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you said that it was as often not once a quarter, not once a month, but it was often as we take it. As often as we take it. Lord Jesus, we know that it was at the time that you were about to be betrayed that you took that bread and you broke it and prayed and said, Take, eat. This is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Thank you, Father. And after supper, Lord, we know that you took that cup. And you said to them, all of them, and you said to us, even today, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drinking this wine symbolically seals that new covenant in your blood. The gift that you have given us for all of eternity. We thank you for this honor. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you profess my name until I come for you. Whether that be in heaven or when we go up into the sky. Ani Lododi Vadodi Lee, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. Praise you, Lord. Now, I'm going to share with you. I'm going to try to read this. <clears throat> 20 minutes may barely be enough. It's a lot, but it's a blessing. I didn't even know I had saved this. I knew about it, and I remembered it. Let's start. It's entitled, I Saw Heaven by Brother Oth. I cannot pronounce his name. It's O-T-H-U-S-I-T-S-E, Othutsi. Musi. So it's evidently one of our brothers, probably in Africa or something. 
My spiritual eyes opened Monday, September the 7th of 2015, around 3 a.m. My spiritual eyes opened, and I saw through the roof of the house, the skies and the moon. I saw a figure on a white robe standing above the moon. Supernaturally, I could zoom in and also know the distance between me and where that figure was. Three angelic beings and the elevator. I saw myself in four-corner machine, like a high-speed elevator. I saw three angelic beings in the elevator with me, but they were silent. The machine became, began traveling at a tremendous rate of speed. I heard the sound from outside, whoosh, like a very strong wind, and I heard the sound of water falling, yet there wasn't any water in sight. But that, by the way, would be a chariot. <clears throat> it's a technology. Entering heaven. Suddenly I saw myself flying in the midst of heaven. The place was full of God's light. I saw white clouds and what looked like a white mist just as I was flying in the atmosphere. When I passed it, I saw spectacular scenery. Heavenly Mansion. The first place I saw it was full of mansions, without number. The mansions were huge and colossal in size. Some were many multiple stories high. They were very spacious. They were made of heavenly materials, very colorful, perfectly aligned, different kinds of designs and shapes, no fences, no barriers of any kind. They were innumerable. There were golden doors, and they faced it toward the east. I saw lovely gardens of flowers. I saw other mansions with well-manicured lawns, sharp-cut and neat. I screamed, Father, this is awesome! Glory! And the Lord spoke to me, Son, this place is prepared for my bride. Everything is prepared and ready. The marriage supper is about to take place. Any moment the trumpet will sound and I will go, go for my holy people and tell my church to wash their robes in my blood and keep them pure and spotless. Warn man about hell. The Lord gave me a stern warning about hell. The Lord said, warn man about hell. They are those who don't believe hell is real. Tell them those tell them for those who will not come to that they will not come to my kingdom that hell is a real place of abode. There will be gnashing of teeth and regret, to say the least. I saw saints and children in heaven. Some of the mansions were already occupied and some were vacant. But I saw saints moving in and out of the mansions. I saw children playing in the streets and in front of the mansions. I was just observing this. In front of some of the mansions, they, there were some chariots. And saints were visiting each other in other mansions. Houses. The second place I saw was full of houses. They looked almost like a like community houses. They were the same design. They were not as big as the mansions, but they didn't have gardens or flowers. They were in perfect symmetry. They weren't far from each other. They were uniform in color and design and size. No one bigger or smaller than the other. 
Then by revelation I knew that in heaven some will live in mansions and some will live in houses. It depends on our level of obedience. It depends on our faithfulness in doing what God has asked us to do on the earth. We will not have the same rewards in heaven. I saw Christians here too, many people here, that, that in the first place that I saw, I saw what looked like multi-residential houses or apartments. They were joined to one another, and they were smaller in size. And there I saw many people living together. There are degrees in heaven. Periods of God. After that, the Lord took me to another scene. I saw chariots of all kinds of them, and they were moving from one part of heaven to another, different shapes and designs and sitting capacities. A great shining place, or I'm sorry, palace. I saw a very stunning palace, more beautiful than the mansions and houses that I saw. There were, was a wall of light around it. The light was living and magnificent. I was not allowed to go there. I just stood at a distance, looking and admiring it, wondering what could be inside or what was happening there. Streets of gold. I walked on the streets of solid gold. This time I said to myself, today I will inspect these streets and see how they are really. I noticed that the street is wide and perfect and they were passing before the mansions and the houses. I looked to them and I saw that it was like gold and put, but, but put deep into the ground like large blocks of gold. So it wasn't like a pavement of gold, but like a solid block of gold from inside the ground, wide also. Also intersecting the thing at the top of the street was like a transparent glass, clear like pure water. But when I looked down, I can see the golden color from inside the ground. So it was like transparent and golden at the same time, transparent on the part of the top, golden at the bottom, almost as if you could put it like underwater and someone sees the transparency of the water, but they're looking deep and they see the gold underneath. There were most beautiful streets I had ever seen. I asked the Lord to give me something to the, the, the you know, the, the right there on, on, on the street appeared a diamond. I picked it up, was walking and holding it sparkling. It was so real. I thought to myself, when I go back to earth, will I still be there? I stood in awe looking at these streets of gold on every side. I remembered saying to myself, I am walking here on the streets of heaven. A pastor's mansion. I saw a very gorgeous mansion. Then a certain man was coming out. I knew he had been a pastor on earth. In heaven, they told me, the reason why he had a large and beautiful mansion in heaven was primarily his giving and helping the needy and the poor and his praying. These provided materials for his beautiful mansion in heaven. The pastor was not rewarded for being a pastor. He was rewarded with a beautiful mansion because he 
seated and gave into the kingdom. He helped the poor and the needy with money and other assistance. And he prayed. Never forget what I just said. They also explained to me, <clears throat> to me that different works we do on earth carry different weights in heaven. What God values and esteems high is very much different from what people think. They told me the works that we do that are unnoticed behind the scenes that people don't know about and unappreciated are the works that God values the most. The works that we do out of a pure heart and our selfless love, they have great rewards in heaven. Then I saw it as God sees. What is really important to God is that we must not look for appreciation and reward from men, but from God. Also, God values what we do in private much more than what we do in public. I praise Jesus for that because I do everything in private. <laughs> Hallelujah. Anyway, um, then he says, I looked over the city, the bright lights, the golden doors of the mansion facing to the east, the majestic palace, the mansions, the houses, the transparent streets of gold, the chariots traveling around, the children playing, the saints talking and walking, the gardens. And I said, wow, heaven is so wonderful. I didn't want to come back, but I knew it was my time to go. Paradise. I walked out of the city, the spirit of the Lord leading me. I came to paradise. The place was beautiful scenery. They were beautiful trees, very green, beyond any earthly green. I looked at the leaves, very fresh. I saw other kinds of plants in different colors in the leaves, golden and purple and blue. All of paradise was full of the creation of God, trees, grass, forests, and lovely parks. A farm. I came upon a farm of a particular saint. At that farm, I found a relative of his. It was a lady I had known on earth. I asked and talked to her, and I found out that it was one of the people that had received the grace of God just moments before they died, and she had repented on her deathbed. Then she died and came to heaven. She was living with her relatives. I knew by revelation that if she had not died but lived and were healed. She would have died in sin and went to hell. So by the mercy of God, she was given a chance to repent. She did, and her deathbed, and God took her, and she has been in heaven ever since. We stood there by each other and we talked. I told her that I'm just visiting. I'm going back at any moment. About the farm, the Lord told me that Christians who like farms and fields and earth, when they get to heaven, they will have their own farms and fields. Every desire there is fully met. And Jesus' final words were, Son, be faithful and continue being obedient and doing what I told you to do. As you do, there will be fruit and results. I will add more souls to your ministry 
Then my spirit was back. I found myself entering my body on earth, and I opened my eyes. I felt awesome, the awesome fire of God in my presence, in my head, in my hands, my back, and all over. Sweet and awesome sensation. I woke my wife and began to share with her what I had just seen and heard. Love and peace. It was worth it, wasn't it? It was worth it to me. It's been years. I knew about this, but I didn't remember all the little things in here. But I also knew about the apartment buildings. I know that, um, you know, for example, people who are are blessed with high-paying jobs and wealth, you know, comparative wealth, but real high-paying jobs and they live in nice houses and they have great retirements, but they're just pumping the collection plate 40 bucks a month. Providing that they do make it to heaven and they don't have unforgiveness in their heart, et cetera, et cetera, they're not going to be living in mansions. They're not going to have city mansions. They're, you know, it, all of these things that you just heard in this testimony are true. And the trickiest part of it all is that we know that these rewards are there for us, but it is only through the love of Jesus Christ in our hearts that we will do these kinds of things for other people, help the poor, bless people with gifts of money that they were never expecting to get. You get a call. Times are desperate. You're worried about your job. What you going to do? Most people will say, oh, my gosh, I'm going through some hard times on myself. And they, they'll, you know, that, they won't give that person the three, four hundred bucks or a thousand bucks that they could have given them. Our love has to overwhelm us. Our love and the love of Jesus Christ and his compassion has to be who we are. Because then these behaviors, these works, are automatic. We never, ever consider that we're worthy to receive any of these rewards. We give. We help. We pray. We heal. We bless, and we do it because we love. And I can tell you that when I started this journey, this most important phase of my journey back in 2009, I didn't understand any of it. The only way that you will come to a place where you are so full of love that you will do these things automatically without even a second thought. The only way is if you beseech God. Beseech. On your knees and ask Him as I did every day in prayer. Or as if you miss a day here or there, but whatever, continuously in prayer, fervently in prayer, tears in your eyes in prayer, very, very sincere. Seek God and say, help me love you, Father. And do like Charles and Francis Hunter did. They 
told the Lord, they used the power of the life and death and the power of the tongue, and they said, Father, we love you, Father, we love you, Father, we love you, Father, we love you, we love you, we love you, we love you, Jesus, I love you, Jesus, I love you, Jesus. You are the wind beneath my wings. You are my hero. I love you. Thank you, Jesus. When you are making those statements and those, there is power in those words, and it will eventually overtake you. You get on your knees and you say, Father, I am not head over heels in love with you, and please help me. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your love so that your love overflows in me and touches other people's lives. Fill me with your love so that I cannot think of a moment that I want to be outside of communion with you and communion with your spirit and in the presence of you, Lord Jesus. I thank you for who you are. You are my hero and I praise your holy name. And I pray that I am blessed enough to be able to praise your holy name forever and ever. And if you do that, you will change. But don't expect it to happen in four or five days. It took me two years. Doesn't mean it's going to take you two years. But it took me two years before I got to the place where I was unbelievably in love with God. And I'm still working on that. And I still pray about it. Because what will happen is your circumstances on the earth will rob you of it. If the devil can inject enough fear into your life through your circumstances and trials and tribulations, you will be sufficiently distracted and it will rob you of your prayer, of the love that God has um, mercifully anointed you with. That is all Jesus because it is completely the opposite of the flesh. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I'm blessed to even be alive today. I'm blessed to have taken the beatings that I have taken that I really didn't like when I was going through them. And I'm blessed to be able to share with you all these things that can help you because I lived it. I want you to benefit by that love. Because let me tell you, when you come to that place where you're filling that other person's gas tank up for them and they're standing there in tears, your life will change. Life here in this place will change. Nothing will bless you more deeply than that. It all comes from love. And that's what you have to pray for more than anything. God bless you all. Physician, heal thyself. I pray for the greatest of rewards for us all. But I don't feel worthy for any of them. And neither should you. Ask the Lord to fill you with love. In Jesus' name I pray for each of you. Amen. Hallelujah. See you all next Friday, Lord willing. (laughs) Praise you, Jesus. God bless you all. Lord, we come to you with repentant hearts. We seek you with all our minds. Sinners at the mercy of grace. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.